Okay, now by way of review, um, the letter of Ephesians is an ancient church in an ancient city called Ephesus. And our title for the series has been called Products of Grace because Ephesians is all about the grace of God. One of the maybe the most famous verses in the letter sent to the Ephesians is, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is what Paul tells the church. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now, that, that verse really differentiates Christianity from any other religion on the planet. All religions boil down to two categories, man-made or God-given. Okay, So if it's not the gospel, every religion is going to tell you to do something to earn God's acceptance or approval or your forgiveness, to do this ceremony, to do these good acts or these good deeds. And if you do those things good enough, at the level that God would demand, and then he will bless you with salvation and forgiveness. That's everything besides Christianity. Every other religion is a religion of do it. Christianity is a religion of God has already done it. God has made a way for people to be forgiven and be saved from the judgment of sin, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is the author. His name was once Saul. He actually was a, um, a leader of this group called the Pharisees, the very religious, devout Jews, um, Judaizers who would actually persecute Christians in the early centuries. They would travel from house to house, arrest, arresting them because they were not following the laws and commandments of, of the Jews. And so Christians were kind of a problem in the ancient day. I'd say we're still kind of a problem now. Um, they were a big problem back then, and Saul was tasked to go and find them and arrest them. And in fact, the first time we meet Paul in the Bible, he is overseeing the stoning of a disciple named Stephen. Stephen is killed after he preaches the gospel, and Saul is there overseeing that. So um, we're going to go through the, the third chapter of Ephesians today, but let me give you an overview of chapter 1 and chapter 2, just so we're caught up, okay? Or you can go back and listen to 10 sermons, but that's going to take you a long time. So you can do that on the podcast, or I'll just get you cut off right now. Chapter 1, basically, we, the Christians, have been blessed in every way that Jesus has been blessed, now, Ephesians is six chapters. The first three, Paul just goes on and on and on about um, what God has done for us. Three chapters long about what the gospel is, what this good news of Jesus is, why it is so amazing, and what God has done. The last three chapters are, okay, now that you know that, here's what you need to go and do. Okay, so the first three chapters, it's just Paul saying the same thing over and over again, these amazing truths about what God has done. And in chapter one, we are told that the Christian, you, no matter how awesome you think you are or not, have been blessed in every way Jesus Christ has been blessed. In every way. So like this side of the room doesn't have more of the God spirit than this side of the room. And, and Jesus is, is not this really some random figure in history that we could never be transformed into because we have been blessed in every way he has been blessed. All of G we got all of Jesus. So when he died on the cross, he took all of who we were and he gave us all of who he was. The relationship with the Father, his righteousness, his goodness. He, he was all truth. He was everything. And so we have access to all those resources in Christ. That's a big deal. A lot of us don't know, understand what that means on an everyday level, and that's what we're going to be doing over this next month or two in the last three chapters of Ephesians. But that, that is the truth. Chapter 2, then, we were all once dead in our sin. Paul says, if you don't know who Jesus is, you are dead in sin. You're not spiritually alive. You're not in tune to the things of God. You don't even like God. In fact, you may be a really nice and good moral person, but you actually hate God. 
You don't like his church. You don't care for his people. You don't care for his word. You don't want to pray. You don't want to know who he is. You were just dead. And this is why the gospel is so important to get out to our neighbors and our family, because even, this is hard to say, isn't it? Even our, our, our sweetest neighbor who has lived in that house for 50 years and bakes you bread every week and comes over and sees how you are doing, if she does not know Christ, or if he does not know Christ, they are dead in their sin. And one thing I'm thankful for is that when, when Nathaniel comes up here and says, I want to go to Kenya so people will hear the gospel, and Adam comes up here and says, let's just remember our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world, that they don't get to have the blessing that we have today. I think our church is shaping up to be people who are reminded that this is a real truth, and we don't put this Western framework on it, and we don't pretty it up, but there are a lot of people who don't know who Jesus is, and we're always wanting to encourage one another to go tell our loved ones about Jesus Christ. So we are dead in our sin. We're all under the righteous and holy judgment of God until, until that day that Jesus Christ saved us, until that day that we believed in him, until that time that we put our faith and our trust in him. At one point, we all trusted in ourselves. We were doing things and living a certain way so God would appreciate us or love us or approve of us, hoping that the afterlife would turn out really good for us. And that was all wrong. That's empty. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, he has the power, he has the ability, he has been given all authority to hand you his righteousness, to exchange it for your sin. We cannot purchase salvation. We cannot earn salvation ourselves. It's a gift. It is a gift that we receive in Christ. So this is the best news in the world. This is the absolute best news in all of the world. There's no other news that will ever be published better than that God has made a way for people to be saved. There's no, there's no better news. It doesn't matter what happened. This is good news. Now chapter three. I'm going to read the entire chapter to you, and then I'm going to go through the first probably 16, I believe 14 or 16 verses of what Paul says. So look in chapter three of Ephesians, and I'm going to attempt to read an entire chapter without stuttering, okay? And you guys are all going to be happy if I can. So all those things that I just said, this is what Paul starts with chapter three. For this reason, okay, so Paul just keeps saying, and for this reason, this is why, and for this reason, this is why. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. We're going to get into that word mystery. You've already heard it a few times. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. The unsearchable, sorry, I'm going to start verse 8 again. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And let's say it together. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, being who you are. We praise you for your holiness and your righteousness, and you, uh, you are the very standard of good. God, we're thankful that we are called together as your church to spend this day worshiping your name. We thank you that you have modeled what it is like to take a day of rest and to remember that we can absolutely rest in your grace and in your mercy. Father, we thank you that we no longer have to frantically search in this world for meaning or purpose or identity, but that you have given it to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We are here as your sons and daughters, and we do pray and hope that all of our worship today would be for you and directed to you, and that it would honor you through our singing and our prayer and our teaching of the word, through our giving back to you and through the remembrance of communion. We ask you that Christ would be glorified, that our hearts would be transformed, that your knowledge would change the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's how I want to break this down. The first 13 verses of this chapter are like a parenthesis. So he says chapter 1 and all of chapter 2. And then he begins to say, and for this reason, I want to pray for you. And then he goes through 13 verses of what he already said in chapter 2. It's like this weird parentheses in the story. Paul begins to pray for them, but then he stops hoping that they would better understand the resources they have in Jesus Christ, which is what he explained in chapter one, and then in chapter two. So he begins a prayer, then he pauses to explain what he had already explained in chapter two, which is the mystery of God, which means that God has made Jews and Gentiles into one body. We spent about five weeks talking about the unity within the church that the world has all sorts of different reasons and ideas of how people are going to be unified, but in fact, they're just ripping people apart. The only unifier, the only one great unifier in the world is Jesus Christ. And so if people do not have a relationship with Jesus, they will never seek unity with their neighbor the way God had intended it to. They may enjoy one another. They may be good to one another. They may generally love one another, but they really won't be unified the way God has designed for mankind to be unified in Christ. Now, here is what this entire parenthesis is about. It's verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ. Paul is talking to people who are not Jewish. They would have been called pagans. Uh, Gentiles and Jewish people, they hated one another. Absolutely disgust for centuries and centuries because the Jews knew who God was. The Gentiles were those who worshiped false idols in the temples. They did all this weird stuff. Even in the ancient city of Ephesus, their idol was Artemis, the great Diana, 
They made shrines to her. They sacrificed to her. It was just a face, a false pagan religion. And so that is what Paul is wanting to remind them of. This is the mystery. And I have been given the charge to preach this mystery, that you, once those people who are far off, far away from God, actually are one with the Jewish people and one with the fellow heirs of Christ. You get all that God has for you. You're no longer on the outside, you're on the inside, which is actually really good news for us because if you're not Jewish here, you're a Gentile. You're welcome, okay? That's just who you are. And so this is us. The church in Ephesus would look not much different than us here today. I am not Jewish. I would have been on the outside. I was not given the commandments of God. I was not given the prayers of God. I, did, I cannot trace my lineage back to Moses or to Abraham or any of the ancient fathers of the faith. I would have been on the outside. And that's what Paul is saying. I know it's a mystery, but you guys no longer are on the outside. The people that you hate, you actually can be one with them. God wants to come and save you too. So here's how I want to do this for the remainder of our time. I'm just going to break these verses down. There's probably five ways that we can structure these 13 verses. Okay, Verses 1 through 4, Paul says he's a prisoner of this mystery. Remember, mystery is is the main subject here. Paul's a prisoner of this mystery. Verses 5 and 6, there's the plan for the mystery. Verses 7 through 11 is called the preaching of the mystery, but we're going to skip that one, and then we're going to end with verses 12 and 13, which is the privilege. So we're going to talk about Paul the prisoner, God's plan, and then why it is a privilege to be a part of this mystery. So Paul, verses 1 through 4, says he is a prisoner of this mystery. Now, Paul is an actual prisoner. He's been arrested more than a few times. If you read the second letter sent to the Corinthians, you can see all that Paul lived through. Whipped five times, shipwrecked, beaten, starved, cold, hungry, all that to preach the gospel. And he's been arrested, and people do not like this man because he is preaching a new way. He is taking people away from their religions, and he's introducing them to Christ, and they do not like that. Now, he is an actual prisoner of the Roman authorities. But you see, Paul is the kind of guy who knows that the only reason the Romans can arrest him is because God lets them. The only reason that he is a prisoner of the Roman authorities is because God allows that to happen. So yes, he is in prison for preaching the gospel, but he understands that this is all part of God's plan for his life. Paul is not ashamed of labeling himself a prisoner of the gospel. He is not ashamed for preaching Christ. He is not one bit embarrassed because of his chains. And this is the fascinating aspect about Paul's life how he suffers so that Jesus would be made known. Now, there is no shortage, shortage of talking about suffering at this church. And we don't do it to guilt you. We don't do it so you feel bad because you live in Portage and we can sit in really cold air conditioning, which I'm feeling it now, so I'm sorry if you're freezing. It's okay because you're going to complain about how hot you are in like two hours, okay? So it's going to be fine. There's, we don't do that to guilt you. We do that to remind you that the majority of people who live on the planet who are called to be Christians do not live in the blessing in which we live. It's not to guilt you. It's to remind you of the blessing you've been given. So use it. Most of Paul's life is the opposite of everything we've ever experienced. The opposite of everything we have ever experienced. Yet, he joyfully and in full obedience obeys the command that Jesus has given him to go preach to the people who have not heard. Go tell those Gentiles about this mysterious thing that has happened, that God has made a way for them to be saved. This is not just for Jewish people any longer. God's plan the entire time was always to include the entire world into his family. The mystery of the gospel has been made known. 
to a man who would suffer so it would be revealed. The day that Paul was converted to Christianity, he said, this is Jesus. He said, Paul, that guy, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. And I will show him how much he will suffer for my namesake. From the jump, Paul was told, you're going to live through a lot of stuff. And it's all going to be so you can talk about me. Yet Paul still joyfully was obedient to the call in his life. Friends, this is why we remind you of the suffering that takes place around the world. This is why we remind you that if you are suffering, it may be God's plan for you to go through that, to learn about who he is, to become dependent upon who he is, to call you into a tough situation so that he would be glorified. Now, some suffering is the result of natural consequences. That's what I tell my children. If you'd like to play on the top of the stairs and think that you can balance on one foot while trying to do the karate kid move, the natural consequence may be you may fall down those stairs. Now, you did not fall down those stairs because God hates you. (laughs) You did not suffer that bruised knee because God was not happy with you. That's because you were teetering on the edge of the step. Some, Some suffering is the result of that, natural consequence of our sin. You see, Paul was called to a life of suffering, not because he was necessarily sinful, but because Christ needed to be made known. And let me ask you, if you could see all that God had planned for your life, if you could see every single second of your life from today until the day you died, and if those plans meant that you would make great advancements for the kingdom, if God was going to use you in the most tremendous way, but it also meant that you'd lose a career or financial security, or if it meant that you would lose close friendships or family relationships, or even worse, the premature loss of a child, or a spouse, would you still joyfully obey God's call to fulfill those plans? These are some of the toughest questions to ever ask yourself. And this is the why I really enjoy reading the Bible, because it cuts through all the fluff, and it doesn't dance around the, the topping, and it just puts us right in front of face-to-face with some of the hardest things we need to ask ourselves. This is Paul. This is the prisoner of the gospel See, like Paul, I want you to know, and I'm trying to remind myself every day, that following Jesus is less less about my life or your life going to be filled with all the best things the world has to offer. We don't know the future of our children if you're a parent. We don't know the future of your marriage if you're single. We don't know the future of your career if you're a career person. But see, we often live in such a way that we're just asking God to bless all of that, because if he doesn't, then we would just be devastated. We'd be without hope. But following Jesus is less about how our life is going to be filled with all the best this world has to offer and all about serving people in the same way that Jesus has served us. The Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, second book of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, chapter 10 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the reason that the Son of Man, who once was enthroned on high in perfect relationship with God the Father, sinless, perfect, the very Word of God, Paul says later in the Colossians, Jesus, through whom all things were created, and the reason why all things were created, and to whom all things were created for, stepped down off his throne and entered entered into our humanity. The Son of Man, Son of God. Perfect, spotless Lamb of God came not so that people would serve him, 
so that he would serve others. What way, you ask? He would serve them in the most tremendous way possible. He would give up everything. He would give up his life so that people would be saved. See, life is less about God blessing our plans that we have made and more about figuring out what God's plan is for our life that he has already made. And that we would follow him in those plans even if there was tremendous suffering. And yes, I do speak to you as a man. Some of you are going to thank me right now. I do speak to you as a man who, I've said this before, has not suffered much in his life. I thought this was going to be awkward to do, but I'm like, nope, just going to do it. I do speak to you as a man who has not experienced much suffering, right? I got five kids who love me. My wife loves me. I don't deserve half of her love. I have never broken a bone. Right? And now I'm going to trip on that first step. I guarantee it. John's just going to hold my hand as I walk around. But I, I think about it. I mean, I've, I've had four parents, and then I got married. So I've got six parents who love me, who would probably do anything for me. I don't deserve that. I eat food every day, like more than three times a day. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I haven't experienced much suffering. So you know what I'm doing in these moments in my life? Let me encourage you. If, you have, if you've been like, wow, God's blessed me. Like, I need you to realize that verse and thank him. But then I want you to prepare for the day that may God, maybe God's going to bring you through suffering. See, that's what you are to prepare for. You are to feast and to indulge on the word of God so that when the time comes, you, like Job, would not listen to his idiotic friends who came into his life and said, maybe that's why God's doing that. Maybe that's why God's doing that, because they were wrong that you would say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I hope that you are glorified through it, and I know that you have a plan because of it. Paul is a prisoner of this mystery. And see, after Jesus Christ, I want you to get to know Paul. I want him to be your best friend, because this guy lives through some amazing stuff that we can barely fathom. And we see him day after day put one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and follow Christ. He's a prisoner of the mystery. Verses five and six, Paul explains that there's a plan to the mystery. He says that the mystery of how God is building a new mankind, right? This is what he's saying. The new mankind, the one new race. We talked about that like, I don't know, two months ago, right? There are not African-American, there are not African-American Christians and white Christians and, and Asian Christians and Egyptian Christians or Middle Eastern Christians, there are, there are Christians in this world who happen to be Middle Eastern. And there are Christians in this world who happen to be white, Caucasian, whatever form that is. And there are Christians in this world who happen to be from Africa. And there are Christians in this world who happen to be from Asia. You see, the world has turned it on its head and gotten it wrong. God is saying, no, it doesn't matter where you're from, what language you speak, what, skin, what color your skin is, what you eat for your meal, how you dress, I am creating one new people group on this planet, and they are unified because of my Holy Spirit. Amen? That's how we are. That, that's the church. That's why we can pray for people on the other side of the globe, and we have an immediate spiritual connection with them. I want you to be awakened to the fact that there are two million brothers and sisters in Christ just in this country. This is why, like, when you travel through the summer, let me encourage you. Some of you are like, I'm on vacation. I ain't going to church. I know. I get it. Our family has this motto, and so far we've held to it. It's called every Sunday, all summer. 
So no matter where we go, we could be, we went to the Smoky Mountains last year with our kids. We just stopped at some random church because it was Sunday morning and I wanted to worship with God's people. Does that make sense? I want you to try to challenge yourself to do that. Now, it's really weird because you're going to be like, this church ain't nothing. My church is so amazing. And uh, the singers up there are so awesome. And this coffee is like, I think it's Maxwell House. I don't know what they're brewing here. But my, my church has great coffee. And, um, you know, the people are so nice there. I just want to be home. But listen, just challenge yourself to sit there and realize that every single one of those people, if they're believers, you will worship within heaven. Every Sunday, all summer, get yourself to church. That's what Paul says. It is a mystery that God is making one new mankind. And he's revealed this truth through people like himself, an apostle, a teacher of the word of God. Now, let me be more clear. What Paul is saying is that the prophets of old, all the people's names you can't pronounce that are in the back of your Bible, right, in the middle of it, the prophets of old were given only a glimpse of this truth. They weren't given the entire picture. So you can read Jonah or Nahum, or Micah, or Habakkuk. That's how you actually say that one. Some of you guys didn't know. Habakkuk. When you read those, you need to understand that um, they were only given a glimpse of the gospel, just a little tiny portion of it. This is why we must understand the Bible as a whole, because anything taught in the Old Testament cannot be fully understood unless it's read about in the New Testament, unless it's connected. Here's an example. Paul tells a man named... um, God tells a man named Abraham, way back in Genesis, first book of your Bible. And he says, Abraham, every family on the world is going to be blessed because of you. That's a big promise. We've talked about that before. That's a big claim, God. Every family. He says, look at the sand of the sea. That's how many people are going to be in your family. Look at the stars in the sky. That's how many people are going to come from you. And he's like, that's a lot of work. What he's talking about is the church, the spiritual blessing in the world. And so when you read that, Abraham had no idea about the gospel and about a savior coming, and and he didn't understand how that all fit together until Paul tells the church in Galatia, which is in your New Testament. Here's what he says, chapter 3, 7 through 9. Now then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now we understand. Not a physical family that Abraham's going to have, a spiritual family, a family of faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, that means save, that God would save the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul reveals what God had said to Abraham all those years before. So you see, the prophets of old didn't fully understand this mystery until Christ came, the sacrifice happened, the resurrection occurred, the Spirit of God came down, and then the preaching took place. So when you read your Bible, I want you to know like the entire thing is connected. Every verse, every sentence, every letter is about one person, and that is Jesus Christ. It's all there. It's all connected. You see, the Old Testament saints had no understanding of what we know as the church. They wouldn't have understood that. Those who are saved, assembling together to sing and to worship and to pray and to read and to listen. Those who are assembled into one united body where there are no racial distinctions. None. Zero. No racial distinctions. God had certainly spoken to the Old Testament saints, but they lacked all the information. And this is why the apostle named Peter had a hard time accepting, accepting Gentile believers. He did. 
He was acting one way around the Gentiles, another way around the Jewish people. He had a hard time receiving new Christians if they were not Jewish. This is the man in in Acts chapter 10. You can read about Peter. He has a hard time with this because they didn't see the full picture. This is why Paul reveals the mystery, and then he reveals it again and again and again. And the mystery is that those who have faith in Jesus Christ are one family, growing in one church, one mankind, one new race, and then what we're told is the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But there's nothing that can stop it. There's nothing that can stop it. Church, we are the people of God. This mystery has been revealed to you, and sometimes this is all the reminder we need just to make it to the next hour of the day. Sometimes this is the reminder we need just to make it another 10 minutes in our life. We know God, and he knows us. It's hard. I get it. We're in the middle of it, right? It's really hard to say this is all we need because our flesh says, no, that's not all we need. We need anger. We need to lash out or we need substance or we need a relationship to make us feel better or we need something, but it's not all we need. We need to know that we know God and he knows us, that we speak to God and he hears us. We can discern his will and direction for our lives. Sometimes all we need to know is that we are the church, the people of God, which means he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. He will never discard us. We are his and he is ours. And then Paul says in verse 12 and 13, there is a privilege of this mystery. It's a privilege to be involved in this mystery, to know that God has brought salvation into the world. Meaning, no longer will we depend upon the Jewish high priest to enter into God's presence on our behalf. Now, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of backstory I could get into, but I turned the air off, and now you're going to get warm and fall asleep, so I'm going to hurry up. See, some of you guys, I told you it would happen. The privilege is that we no longer need to find a Jewish priest to go into the temple of God to make a sacrifice for our sins that we, so we would be forgiven. Some of, that, some of that, like, that language seems totally archaic to us. We'd be like, well, well I wasn't going to do that anyway, right? I, I probably wasn't either. But that's what Paul is telling these people. Now we are privileged people who, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have access into God's presence because the one true great high priest has made the final sacrifice. Amen? That's what it means. For centuries, one time a year, one Jewish priest was selected to go into the innermost parts of the temple, make a sacrifice to pay for all the sins of the Israelites. One time a year. And then Jesus shows up. And he shows how he is. He is the one true high priest who's made the final sacrifice. Never again will a temple be needed. Never again will a sacrifice be needed. We are those privileged enough because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now let's apply this to our everyday lives. Let's just get really practical. I think I have two things, but they're longer than like a sentence. So just give me a minute. One, okay? What, what does this parenthesis in chapter 3, what is it telling us to do? Well, not a whole lot. Paul's just reminding us of what God has done. There's not a whole lot of do, don't do in these verses. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it's really easy. We just go, I'm just going to flip to whatever God is telling me to do because it's just easy. I can just go and do that. So we have to figure out how this is supposed to transform our lives. That's our job. Whenever you read the Bible, you just don't want to pick it up and say, I need some more information from God. Nobody's ever said that. What we need is to be transformed by God. So I got a few things for us, and as I was praying through this 
sermon, let me tell you what I thought. Here's the first one. Let us live as prisoners. We need to live as prisoners. And following suit with Paul and the apostles and the early church and our brothers and sisters around the world, let us live in such a way as to restrict our freedom so that others would hear about the plan that God has to save the sinner. Let us restrict the life that we think we deserve so that we'd have more time, energy, or resources so that the people who have not heard about Jesus Christ would hear about Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's sitting in prison, and if you were to read through his storyline, there's a point where he's in prison. He has a chance to get out, and he doesn't leave. He sits there so the person keeping him in prison would be saved. That guy does get saved. His whole house gets saved, and then he goes and baptizes them, and they have a potluck. That's what happens. Paul didn't run the first chance he had. He didn't run towards a better life the first chance he had. And I think we do need to be reminded that, yes, we live in complete abundance and blessing. That's not for us to feel guilty. That's for us to use it. We should be tasked to use it. It is common for the blessing of abundance. Here's what I wrote. It is common for the blessing of abundance to cloud the call in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. It is common that the blessings that we often experience every single second of the day in which we live It's common for it to cloud the call that God has given to the believer. It's true. We just need to recognize it and admit it. So here's my call to you. This week, the next seven days, pick one thing you'd give up in order for the gospel to be spread. Pick one thing. Here's how we do it in the Gilfillan home. We know exactly how often we are telling people about Jesus or serving them or just simply loving them by looking at our bank account and our calendar. Two things. We all know where our money's being spent. Even the government knows it's on the internet, okay? So they know. They're tracking you. But we all know where our money is going. We all look at what we've done the week and the last week and the week after. You see, some of us have to take a clean look at that and go, yeah, all this abundance and blessing that I've been given, I'm not using any of it to further the gospel. I could have called that friend I know God told me to call this morning but I just wanted to sit in the sun because it's out. Cool, sit in the sun with your friend. I did come upon some extra money, but I used it to to buy this new thing that I didn't really need, but I had an old thing like it, but I wanted a new one that was like that one. So that one would get old because I'm gonna need a new one in two weeks anyway. You know how that cycle goes. Friends, I'm guilty of this too. But we need to take sort of this prisoner mentality that we have nothing, we need nothing, and we're content with that because God has called us to make the gospel known. We are not saved to sit in a seat and be still and silent. We're saved to serve other people. That's what we must do. That's what we must do. Give more of your time making plans to serve your family, your friends, praying, praying, seeking God earnestly in prayer that you would have a chance to speak about Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are afraid. You're like, I don't want to be that annoying Christian that makes everything into a spiritual conversation. I get that. Don't be that person. It's really hot out today. You know what else is hot? Hell. You know who saves you from hell? Jesus. (laughs) Right? Like, you know those people. Man, the sun is so bright. Yes, the son of God is bright, and he he desires to save you. Like, we, we can run into those Christians that make everything into a Jesus conversation. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. It's just weird. So sometimes you shouldn't do that. 
But you do actually need to be bold and say, now is my chance. Hey, I've known you for a while. Can I tell you about Jesus? That was the spirit. It's okay. That was a stamp of approval. Spirit was like, listen to that. That's all you have to say. Let me give you a very practical line. I, I will say sometimes when I have had coffee with someone for 10 minutes, this, I just give it 10 minutes, right? I know after 10 minutes whether I can enter, enter that or not. So I'll say, hey, where are you at with God? Where are you at with God? And that's an easy one, right? Because they go, uh, nowhere, and they walk away. I'm like, all right. Or they say, actually, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about, like, is there something more to life, going to church? That's one of those easy middle-of-the-road questions. Where are you at with God? Because they're like, well, God is he talking about? I don't know this guy. Well, that's great. Let's talk about it. But you see, some of you have loved ones and family and friends. They know you go to church. They know you bring your kids to church. They know that you're one of the 66 people who sit here and serve other people so they can go to church. They know that it's a part of the routine of your life. They know that you enjoy it and you love it and you couldn't live without it. But you know what they do not know? They don't know why because you've never told them. You've never brought it up. And they're on the outside observing you and looking at you. And they're, you know what they're wondering deep inside? Would they just tell me? I just, I just want to know. But you see, pride gets in the way of them making the first step. You know who is the most humble people on the planet who can talk about Jesus? This is the Christian. We're not ashamed. Paul isn't ashamed to be a prisoner. We should not be ashamed to tell people about Jesus. That's my call to you. Number two, and then we're going to be done. Because John came back, so he's preaching longer than Nathaniel. I know. Here we go. Oh, let me end uh, number one with this. Consider it a joy, like Paul did to be a prisoner, to sacrifice your time, talent, and treasure, that is your money, to ensure that this local church continues to spread. We are a church. This is not John's church. This is not the worship team's church. This is your church. I want you to care about it just as much as the person next to you cares about it. Together, let's sacrifice and spread our influence around the city. Number two, this is part of the, the last few verses there. Um, about Jesus being the great high priest, the privilege that we have, this will change some of your lives today. Let us live in full knowledge and acceptance of Jesus as our great high priest. We need to remember that a sacrifice has been made. God has received that sacrifice. Therefore, you are forgiven. Therefore, you are clean. Therefore, you are pure. Therefore, you are new. Therefore, you are holy. You know what that means? You're not dirty, you're not sinful. God's not going to discard you because he's upset with you. The sin that you commit tomorrow when you blow up on that person you should not blow up on, that sin has been paid for. It's done. And what we do as the church is we often live like there's still more work to be done, so we better get busy doing it. Friends, what if, imagine if you lived as though Nothing could penetrate you and make you feel like you were just a garbage. What if nothing could enter into your soul and condemn you? What if when the devil spoke up in your conscience and said, oh, John, I know you're a Christian, but remember, remember that time, 15? Am I the only one that gets reminded of my sin from 20 years ago? I'm not the only one. Isn't that interesting? How the devil sometimes, you're like, why am I thinking about when I'm 14? I'm 36. What just went on? You know what happens? The devil will condemn you day after day after day. And imagine, imagine 
how free we would be in our relationships, in our worship of God, how free we would be to tell others about Jesus if we lived in full knowledge and acceptance that the great high priest has made a sacrifice and God accepted it and it pleased him and it paid for our sin and we have been set free and God requires nothing of us but trust and faith and belief. Imagine what that'd be like. We'd, pe- we'd treat people differently. We would live differently. We'd worship way more loudly. We may even raise a hand, maybe, halfway. But I don't want to do it all the way because somebody behind me might make me f- like, say, why is that person raising their hand? You see how a little bit of condemnation tears us down? What if we lived realizing that the sacrifice Jesus made was accepted by God? And not only that, but that sacrifice has been credited to my account. I do nothing. I just receive it. I just live in light of it. The gospel frees you to live as though you need to earn God's acceptance through your good deeds or actions or thoughts or religious activity. It's done. Sacrifice has been made. And so Paul says, chapter one, you get everything that Jesus has. Chapter two, and because of that, He's made one new people, one new race. Chapter three, I want to pray for you, but wait, I got to go back because I got to remind you of what God has actually done. And that's just what he has done here for us this morning. We were just reminded the mystery that we are sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus has done. Amen?